0: This is Truth Encounter, and I promise that you will be challenged to think through your reason for living, and to come up with your life purpose statement. Our study leader is Dave Wordson, and he begins our study of Deuteronomy chapter 6 with one of his dad's favorite stories about the drumbeats of Africa. Let's join Dave for the study he has titled, Pass It On.
1: One of dad's favorite stories is when he went to Kenya, he was amazed by the fact they didn't have MCI, they didn't have Sprint, they didn't have AT&T. Back then, especially when he went there, they didn't have those things at all. But they had a great means of communication. And he noticed that almost everywhere you went in Kenya that you would hear the beating of the drums, the rhythmic pounding out of a drum. And my dad went over to one of these drummers there in the village one day and he said, you know, tell me about you're talking drums, the powerful talking drums of Africa. And he said, just give me a message. And so my dad said something like, hello, to one of the missionaries. Hello, John. And John was maybe 50 miles away. And the drummer picked up his two, his two sticks and he began to beat out that message. Hello, John. And then you'd hear down the river a little bit, another drummer would pick up his stick and began to beat out the message. And then you'd go a little bit farther and you could hear the drum beats passing on and suddenly you know they came back yes jack how are you doing and they are just incredible the message Or there could be a medical emergency maybe way out in the bush somewhere maybe a little child would get bitten by a snake and and they would begin to pound out the message we need help send medical help and they'd beat out that message and every one of those drummers in a chain would pick up those sticks and they would effectively beat out that message in just a matter of minutes Almost as quickly as Dave Schroeder, our famous fire chief, could get there, the the medical help would be on the way. The power of the talking drums. Now, what's the key to the power of those talking drums? It's every drummer in the sequence picking up the drumsticks and beating out an accurate message. What I want to talk to you today from Deuteronomy chapter 8 is I want to talk to you about God's sequence of drumbeats. We want to talk about what is the message, first of all. What in the world are we supposed to be beating out? Then I want to talk to you about some of the causes of blocked arteries in this communication system. You see, one of the great tragedies among the people of God is many times we don't pick up the sticks and we don't pass it on. We want to talk about what some of the forces that cause us not to pass on the message of truth. And thirdly, we want to talk about what a, a cure. We want to talk about how in the world can we overcome some of these clogged arteries. The message is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 reads like this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We talked about Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And we talked about the meaning of this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It doesn't say that we love God just on Sunday morning. It doesn't say that religion is just another area of our life. What the book of Deuteronomy is calling every one of you to, to recognize is the meaning of your existence, the meaning of your physical, psychological, and spiritual health. The meaning of your life is to love the Lord. You were built for that. You were created to be in love with God, and God doesn't put up with half measures. He says, "I want you to love me. I want you to love me with all your heart." And we talked about what that meant. He says, "I want to love. You. I want you to love me with your mind, with your emotions, with your will." He says, "I want you to love me with your life vitality." The next word is the, it's the word soul, but in Hebrew, it's the word that stands for life vitality. It's the word for your throat, for your breath, and it means that you're to love the Lord right now. Every one of you is living; you're breathing. You have life vitality. And the Lord says, I want you to love me. I want you to be committed to me with all your life vitality. And then it says, I want you to love the Lord with your strength. We're only going to have physical strength for so long. The Lord is saying, I want you to use that physical strength to communicate this intimacy with God. Then it says in verse 6, it goes on. Now, that's the message. It's the message of both Testaments, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus says in, this, in the New Testament, "Herein in his love, not that you loved me, but that I loved you and gave myself as the atoning sacrifice, the one that took care of the wrath of God against us. The Lord Jesus says, this is love. I gave my life for you, and now I ask you in turn to respond to me, to believe in me, to commit your heart to me. So on both testaments, when they asked Jesus to summarize, summarize all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And in the Greek text, it adds in with all your mind, just so that we'd be sure to think straight about God. And what Jesus was doing was underlying the thrust of both testaments is that you're to have a living, genuine relationship with God. Goes on and says this, we're to do something very important with this message. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Moses says today, and this is our today, today. He says, among you as a group of believers, the commandments of the word of God, the revelation of scripture is supposed to be on your what? It's not just to be a memorized thing. It's not just to be something that you do at a Awana. It's not just to be something you do in Sunday school class. It's not just to be something that you do on a Sunday morning. What Moses is calling out to the Old Testament people of God, he's calling out to them and he's saying, today, this message needs to be on your hearts. Now, what does that mean? I want you to ask yourself the question, what's on your heart today? What's really on your heart? Men, what's on your heart? Is business on your heart? Is that the number one priority? Is that what you're thinking about? You say, how can I know what's on my heart? It's what you think about. What do you wake up? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? Kids, what's on your heart? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? That'll give you a good insight. It's a good read on what's on your heart. And what I want to share with you is that what's on your heart will dominate your life. It will control your life. For example, in an extreme case, if you're an alcoholic, you know what's on your heart? An alcoholic has booze on their heart. That's what they're thinking about. They get up early in the morning. You know what they think about? Man, I need to to get some of that stuff. I need to get some stuff that'll keep me alive. And they're thinking about it. Man, they long for it. They might hold it off all day long. But man, at night, they're just hungering to have that drink. An alcoholic has drink on their heart. And that's the idea. That's why it says, don't be drunk with wine we're in excess, but be filled, be controlled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord wants the Spirit of God to be on our heart. He wants us to be thinking and loving and meditating on the Lord, our God. It's very, very important. I believe your kids, 99.9% of the time, the kids in our audience, 99.9% of the time will be a, a very accurate reflection of what's really on our heart. If money's on our heart, then our kids will be pretty materialistic, one of two ways. They'll either be rebelling against it and they'll grow their hair real long and wear dirty clothes and and not take any money at all and just live on the street like the hippies did in the 60s and which is powerfully coming back now among college students. They'll reject the materialism of the 80s in reaction to mom and dad, but it will prove money was on mom and dad's heart. Or, after a little while of rebellion, they'll just come right back in, and they'll have money on their heart, just like mom and dad had money on their heart. You see, what's on your heart determines what goes on in our family. It totally dominates what happens in our family. And Moses understood that. He asked the people, he said, what's on your heart? He says, I want God to be on your heart, not just for a few minutes on Sunday morning." In fact, it can be deadly for you to pretend that God is on your heart for a few minutes on Sunday morning and then forget about it. Because kids hate hypocrisy, especially as they move up into teenage years. They hate pretending. They like the real thing in what they soft drinks they drink and everything about their lives. They want it to be the real thing. That's why they want name brands. It can't be some fake Kmart thing. Or some other smaller storm, I mean, it's got to be the authentic one that has the label. It's like that about spiritual things, too. So don't fake it. In fact, it may be really important. Maybe some mom or dad will really get a hold of this today and go back home and say, I want to really level with you. Man, Jesus hasn't been on my heart. God hasn't been on my heart. I've been living for a lot of other things. We need to really talk honestly. And I want you to know, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really let God be on my heart. This spiritual dimension, it's going to be the center of our family life. And you're going to start making some changes. We need to be really honest about that. What is on our heart will dominate the reality of our homes. So that Moses says this, I want these commandments that I've given to you, these pronouncements from God, these instructions about how to live, I want them to be on your hearts. And it says this, verse 7, now we got the drumbeat. Moses is saying, I want every one of you parents to pick up the sticks. The message is you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. We could add a little bit more to it from the Old Testament. The message is in, the, in the Old Testament is God's going to send a promised one. God's going to send the anointed one. God's going to send a son of David. God's going to send, according to Isaiah 53, the ultimate servant who will pay the price for our sins, who will take care of our debt. And all this was part of the commandments and the promises that God gave to these old covenant people. And Moses, as a very skillful teacher, says to these parents, he says, I want you to pick up the sticks, and I want you to pound it out for the next generation. He says, I want you to impress them on your children. The word impress is a strong word. It doesn't just say, you know, you can dump them off at Awana. And Awana will take care of it. Or that you can kind of come to church kind of on Sunday morning and go to Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher will take care of it. I want you to notice something that doesn't say anything about Sunday school or a one or other youth programs or children's programs. And as a parent, you can kind of muddle through I want every one of you to realize that Moses is talking to us as parents. And he's saying, I want you to impress these commands, this relationship with God and the instructions that flow upon that. I want you to impress it upon your children. Now, how do you do that? You say, Dave, you've been talking a lot about not just Sunday morning, not just Wednesday night. When do we do this? Look what it says in, in the next part of verse 7. Talk about them when you sit at home. You're going to sit at home today? What do you talk about? You say, I'm not saying that you need to be super spiritual all the time. I'm, I'm not saying that you, you know, you're kind of like a, a monk in a monastery that never you know, smiles. and never that, That's a totally false concept of God. But I want to ask you, does God permeate all your conversations? Is God always in the background and in the foreground and always the assumed presence around the table in the conversation? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, I would ask you, when does Moses want you to talk about God? He says, I want you to talk about God, according to this verse. He said, I want you to talk about God when you sit down. I want you to talk about God when you get up. I want you to talk about God when you walk it up and walk along the road. And then I want you to talk about God when you lie down to bed at night. And when do you think Moses wants you to talk about God? Kind of all the time, doesn't he? What Moses is hitting at is the most important dimension of teaching. You see, teaching's not just something that you do at special times when you, when you sit all those people down. Like, right now is one of the least effective times of teaching that there is. Because this is a controlled time of teaching. You're sitting there, and, and you know that it's time to listen, but, but it's, it's a real difficult time. Some of the questions that I'm talking about, you're not even interested in. You see, some of the stuff that I've been bringing out, your mind just isn't connected with that. Where real teaching takes place is in the flow of just everyday living. It's when you're walking down the road. It's when, in our culture, it's when you're riding in the car. And your kids say, you know, what's going on in this trial? And you start talking about it. And you start talking about how God relates to gangs. And you talk about, you know, justice. And you talk about the the problems of, of the police and what they're trying to do and, and criminals and all that goes on with that, it's, it's when you talk about those things and you wrestle with them in the context of the Bible, that's when you've got your kids' ears. It's when you're playing ball together and, and the conflict gets really severe and the competition rises and you're right on the edge of losing your temper and you learn how to let the Holy Spirit control it. That's when it happens. That's what Moses is saying. I want every one of us to really take that seriously. And by the way, if you don't have any time at all with your kids, then teaching's being done. Somebody else is doing the teaching. Maybe, maybe Mr. Rogers is teaching your kids. Maybe somebody much worse. You know, Mr. Rogers is pretty good, You know, pretty good, wholesome ethic. But there's a lot of other stuff that will be teaching your kids. Whatever is controlling their time, day in and day out, moment by moment, when you walk up, when you get up, when you go to bed at night, that's what's going to be controlling your kid. Now, what, look what Moses goes on to say. In verse 8, he says, I want you to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Now, the Orthodox Jews took that as being a literal statement. And so they took what they called Tephalim and they would tie on their left hand, they would tie a box, and they would put Exodus chapter 11 and verses 1 through 10 in there, and then they would put some other verses. They'd put some of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we're studying right now, and they'd put it in a little book on their hands. They would also have uh, their phylacteries, their phylacteries around their forehead. They'd put a box in their forehead, they'd put some more scripture in there, and they'd tie it around their heads. If you've ever visited Israel, you'll understand that this is, a, this is still done today among many of the very conservative Orthodox Jews. You know, I think as... as, as Bible believing Christians, we can really put them down for that. Maybe it's not such a bad idea. You know, maybe it's equivalent to having like the navigator packet of memory verses in your in your top pocket. But I think it's even more effective. You know what? Because an Orthodox Jewish kid, when he went to steal something at the market as a little kid, and he went to steal some fruit, he had right in his hand that reached out, thou shalt not steal. Now, that gets pretty convicting, doesn't it? You see, God loved to do that with the Old Testament people. You see, an Israelite boy, the ultimate sign of the Old Covenant is circumcision. So there's no Israelite boy who could engage in immorality without being really confronted with the fact, I am a covenant boy. I'm a covenant son. I'm not just an animal. I'm not just just a thing. I'm not just an accident. I am a covenant son of God, and you need to really control these sexual passions because of the sign of circumcision that reminds me that I'm a covenant people. You see, God didn't look upon those sexual organs as being an unholy, evil thing that Satan would use. He made his covenant relate to that important area that would generate the next generation of Israel. Because I'm going to tell this, that they also put it on their forehead. I think there's two things that just hit me this week. I've studied about phylacteries and in Old Testament studies, but it really hit me this week, this hand thing and the head thing. You see, you put God's word around your forehead. It's a tremendous demonstration that my thinking needs to align with the word of God. That God's word needs to control my head. And we're living in an incredibly subtle day where God's word doesn't control a lot of thinking. I hear it on one radio show after another. Our whole culture is debating whether it's okay to commit adultery for a million dollars. Tim, very powerfully with our own young people on Wednesday nights, said something that's really penetrating. What about you all that, that don't even sell your bodies? You just hand it away for just a fleeting feeling or a fleeting love affair. That's really the, the tough question but think about a culture that debates about it, whether it's okay for a million dollars to commit adultery i'm often reminded of the story of the of a guy that was went to a really nice dinner party and you know how it is at a dinner party they kind of mix the husbands and wives up and and he was sitting by this really beautiful woman she was just dressed to kill just really attractive and he says to her about halfway through the meal he said would you go to bed with me for uh, for about a million and a half dollars And, uh, you know, she said, well, you know, kind of like the question that's been raised, I, I'd have to think about it. She says, would you go to bed with me for $50,000? And then he said, would you go to bed with me for 50 cents? And she slapped him. Just turned, what are you, what kind of woman do you think I am? He said, we already figured out what kind of a woman you are. We're just haggling over the price. never hearing that story with a little kid, and it gets at the reality. What kind of a person are you? What's written over your forehead? Is God's law controlling your thoughts? And also, over your forehead, having God's law on your forehead, it controls your eyes. What do you do with your eyes? What do you let in through that eye gate? David said, King David, and King David knew. He said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. David needed that instruction. What about you? Do you have God's word controlling your forehead, controlling what your mind thinks, controlling what your eyes see? Because I'm going to talk about something else. It says here a little bit further, it says, I want you in verse eight to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And then it says in verse nine, write them on your door frames of your houses. In in a Hebrew home, in an Israelite home, they have what's called a mezuzah, And it's up there in the right-hand corner of your doorpost, and it's again, it's another box. In fact, if you go to Israel today in your hotel room, you'll have a beautiful masutza there that's usually highly decorated, and some of the law of Moses as well will be put in that little box. What is it saying? It's saying that as you go out of the day, as you go out for the day, as you leave for work in the morning, and you go out into the public marketplace, Moses is saying that the Word of God needs to control your going outs. And so they would put this on the doorframe. It also said that they would put this at the gates of their city. And I was trying to think of what's a comparison to how we do that today. In other words, in the ancient Near East, the cities would have, um, it would be like a walled enclosure. In fact, the old city of Jerusalem, though it's not from the first century, it's more from about 11 or 1200, it still has this kind of a feel. And as you go in through, for example, the Damascus Gate, there's a great big gate there and all the people congregate. And what Moses is saying is up above that gate, put an inscription, put the law of Moses there, remind the people. The communists did this, you've all seen this, you know, like in the old films, the old flicks you've seen of of the marches on Red Square. And they have banners, wherever you travel in in the communist countries, like when I was in Poland, they had all these banners up there and all these slogans. And you would ask, you know, the different translations like peace now through communism and Lenin is the answer, all kinds of propaganda everywhere you look. Why do you do that? Because that's the way you train people. That's the way you teach people. When you go to the University of Texas, there's, a, there's an incredible putting on the doorpost that just hits me right in the face every time I go there. It's right in the center of the campus. It's on one of the major buildings. You can look out the other direction, look right down to our beautiful state capitol. But you turn around, you look at in a building, and it, and it has this. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, let me tell you what that slogan means in the University of Texas today. It means that we are children of the Enlightenment. It means that there really isn't such a thing as truth. Your opinion is just as valid as mine. My opinion is just as valuable as yours. We're just here to have a discussion, and we will seek to find the truth, but don't ever say that you find it, because if you ever say that you found what we're looking for, then you're going to be one of those old-fashioned traditionalists that think they really know that there's an absolute something. So what it means is you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free is that you can never really find total freedom because you can never really find the truth. I want you to turn your Bibles to John and let's read where that uh, that verse was originally given. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 31 is where that little quote began. And it reads like this in John chapter 8. Some of the Jews who had believed in the Lord Jesus came to him and Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teaching, just like Moses, just like we we're talking about from Moses, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is Jesus Christ saying? Jesus Christ is not saying that truth is something that you discover deep in your heart and if you think hard enough and you do enough research and you open your mind enough to enough information, somehow you might muddle through and you'll find out what truth is for you. That's relativism. Jesus said this, I am the truth. If you find me and if you listen to the instructions that I give you, The truth will set you free. Now, everyone in this room, you've got to listen. You're only going to get to do this once. You're only going to get to live life one time. And every one of you makes a commitment to some truth statement. Every one of you. Everybody has truths that they believe. I believe that if I get a brand new GMC pickup truck, I will be important. I will be happy. I will have the ultimate meaning in life when I blast down Route 67 at 55 miles an hour. That's a belief. You're committed to that truth. In fact, you'll work your head off to fulfill that truth. Now, if you talk to somebody a little bit older, in fact, if you, if you talk to some of the people that are right here, they'll take you this week, they'll take you down to Chaparral Steel, and they'll show you some kids' dreams, kids that worked their entire life it seemed they worked at the grocery store and they, they babysat and everything else and they'll, they'll show you some of those kids' dreams. And you know what they're going to do with those things? They're going to they're squash them as flat as a pancake. And they're going to take them and Glenn Carlisle is going to get his oven just really heated up really strongly. And make sure everything was right and then they, they zap the thing with millions of volts of electricity and the thing goes pfft, and it melts. And then we use it to build buildings. And that happens to your dream. In other words, it's really just not the truth. You could buy a GMC truck, you'll feel good for about five minutes, and then you'll feel awful because you've got to pay for it for the next five or six years. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is not that it's wrong to buy a GMC trucks. Some of you work for GMC. We don't want to put you out of business. What I'm trying to get you to think through is what are you committed to? What do you believe is the truth? And what we need to put over our doorposts is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me.
0: Is your life focused totally on the fact that God has revealed the ultimate truth through His Son, Jesus Christ? If so, have you picked up the drumsticks in your neighborhood to beat out the message that Christ died for our sins? He is risen. Christ died for our sins. He is risen. Today, He still comes to us as the gentle carpenter's son. He gives us freedom to decide whether or not we will respond to His offer of forgiveness and love based upon what He did for us on Calvary. Will you join us in beating out this message of truth today?